Why don't we pray together? Father, thank you for your word. It's a privilege to hold it in our hands and to uh, look at it for ourselves. It, it communicates to us who you are and uh, speaks to us about what our response to you needs to be. And so I pray, speak to us through your word tonight. Help us to recognize it for what it is and, and receive it gladly and apply it in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you don't have a copy uh, of the Bible, we've got our ushers are coming down the aisles. Uh, they've got copies for you. Just catch their eye and uh, they'd be glad to give you one. And uh, if you don't own one, take it home. We'd love for you to have it and to keep it. And uh, we're going to be looking at uh, John's Gospel, chapter 8, starting at uh, verse 12. That's on page 746 in, in the ones that, that we provide here. Page 746, John chapter 8, starting at verse 12. Um, but first, let me, uh, let me just congratulate the runners. Do we have runners in the room? Anybody who, who ran the race this morning? I don't see any hands of anybody. <laughs> Um, and uh, who, who worked the event this morning? Let's see. Hey, thank you, workers. That was great. It's great. So, okay. Well, I have, uh, I have enjoyed uh, visiting other countries. I, I've had the privilege of going to quite a number of them. And uh, I have always wanted to learn something about them before I go. Um, and... Uh, I, I can do that a number of ways. There are a lot of options open uh, to us if we want to learn about another country. You can read books, you can watch videos, but there's nothing like talking to someone who has lived there, talking to someone who has grown up there, talking to someone uh, for whom that is their native country. A number of years ago, I met a young man named Oscar, and uh, Oscar came to Wausau on um, a student program, it was a special program of the State Department, where they, they chose some promising young people and brought them in to this training program uh, through um, North Central Technical College. And uh, they were here um, to, to learn some things that they could bring back to their home country. And a part of their program was to establish something in their home country. They had to write a proposal on it while they were here, and then they had to go back uh, to their home country and implement it. And so uh, I got to know Oscar. I think we've got a picture of Oscar and his family. Oscar was a teenager when I met him, but now he's, uh, he's back in Guatemala, and he has established a, a ministry, actually. He, he does leadership development among uh, national pastors and um, has just done some amazing things there. And his wife, uh, Carla, is there, and daughter, Emily, and son, Emmanuel. And so uh, it has been great getting to know them, and it has been great getting to know Guatemala through their eyes. They have invited us to come down. I've been there a couple of times, and I've seen Guatemala from, from their perspective. Um, and uh, I find, you know, Oscar is, is uniquely qualified to talk to me about Guatemala because he just knows Guatemala. And just to include a map tonight, we, uh, we have Guatemala. And so uh, kind of in the south central part of it is Guatemala City and his little town of Sumpango 
is off to the west of Guatemala City. But Oscar is uniquely qualified to represent his native Guatemala and to explain that country like, like only someone who has lived there can. Why do I bring that up? Well, in John chapter 8, we're going to see Jesus showing how he is uniquely qualified to talk about heaven, to talk about spiritual things, because heaven is where he has been. He is representing heaven to us, and in this passage where he's confronted by the Pharisees, he talks to them about this place that he knows uniquely, and he is uniquely qualified to talk about it, talk about his home and talk about his father. So let's take a look at John chapter 8. We'll begin at verse 12, and we'll go through verse 30. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away. You will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. The setting for this passage, once again, as it was for the last couple of weeks, is, is the Feast of Tabernacles, one of three major feasts of the Jewish calendar that's celebrated in Jerusalem once a year. So there's the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Pentecost, and uh, the Feast of Passover. Those three are celebrated every year. Uh, the Tabernacles Feast 
celebrated the land that they were living in. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness with Moses, they came into the promised land under Joshua, conquered the land, occupied the land, and then they celebrated being in the land. And the way they celebrated being in the land was living as though they were still in tabernacles, still in tents. They set up little huts all over the country and lived in those huts for a week to sort of reenact the wilderness experience. And so there were two great ceremonies in that Feast of Tabernacles that took place every day. One we looked at two weeks ago. It was the, the ceremony of the, the pouring of the water. Um, and that was uh, where the, the high priest would go to the Pool of Siloam with a, a golden pitcher, fill it up there, bring it back to the temple, and, and pour that out. It was really a high thing, a high honor if you could be there to see the water poured onto the altar. This is everybody's dream of being there for that. And it was that setting that Jesus used to say, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me, and I will, I will satisfy that thirst. And out of that person will flow rivers of living water. So Jesus capitalizes on this feast, on, on this ceremony at the feast, to talk about himself as as the water that truly satisfies. Similarly, he's going to do something like that here with the other ceremony that was enacted every day, and that was the, the lighting or the illumination of the temple. Uh, in the illumination of the, the temple ceremony, four huge torches, uh, I mean, really tall torches, uh, were lit every evening in, in the temple, and it was in the, the place where, where the offerings are, are taken. There are these, these receptacles for the offerings, and so we, we know what part of the temple that was in. But these four huge uh, lights were, were lit, these torches were lit, and it would illuminate the whole temple and, and even uh, out into the city of Jerusalem. And it was there that Jesus... Uh, uses that whole thing to talk about himself as the light of the world. So uh, Jesus is, is doing that in the context of, of this uh, Feast of Tabernacles where they're celebrating their being in the land after the wilderness wanderings, and he's connecting himself to the pillar of fire that guided and protected the Israelites while they were in the wilderness. And so He's really taking advantage of these two things, the pouring of the water, saying, I'm the water that will satisfy, the, the illumination of the temple saying, I am the light of the world, and if you, you trust in me, you will not have any darkness. So let's take a look at it. It begins with uh, what I call the big statement here in verse 12. Uh, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What if I made that statement? What, what if one of you made that statement? Someone would be looking to lock us up, right? I mean, that is just an outrageous statement. If I were to say to you, I am the light of the world, if you follow me, you'll never have any darkness. Um, let's just unpack that statement. He begins with this, this amazing declaration that he is the light of the world. So people... The people are celebrating being in the promised land 
looking back on the 40 years when they wandered in the wilderness, when this pillar of light, this pillar of fire, guided them through the wilderness. And so Jesus is saying, I was there. That was me. I was guiding you. I was protecting you. That's who I am. And then with that declaration, he makes a promise for whoever follows him that they would never walk in darkness. It's, it's an interesting construction in the original language. It's, it's two strong no's next to one another. And that's why in the NIV it says never. It, it, it's the person who follows after me uh, will not not walk in darkness. I mean, it's, it's a double negative to intensify the thing. Um, and and what, it, what it implies is you'll never have any darkness if you're following me. So darkness and light are strong themes in John's gospel. You'll see them often. John often picks up on, on what Jesus does with light and darkness. And uh, he's, he's certainly bringing that out here. But let me just give you a couple of others, for instance. Remember Nicodemus in chapter 3 came to Jesus. What, when was it that, Jesus, or that Nicodemus came to Jesus? It was at night, right? Nick at night, right? So um, he, he came in darkness. Now, why? Well, maybe he was afraid of, of his fellow members of the Sanhedrin, if anybody saw him coming. But you get this idea that he was stepping out of darkness and into light as he meets and gets to know Jesus. If you look at John chapter 3, uh, verse 19, right after he talks about being born again with Nicodemus, he says in verse 19, this is the verdict, light has come into the world. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So Jesus is unpacking all of this to Nicodemus about darkness and light. And here in chapter 8, he says, I'm the light of the world. If you follow after me, you'll, you'll never have darkness. In, in chapter 12, he, uh, he does it again, uh, starting at verse 35, chapter 12, verse 35. Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you still have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of the light. So this theme of, of darkness and light just pervades the gospel of John. And, and Jesus shows himself to be the one who is the light of the world, who gives life. And for those who follow him and find life in him, there's no more darkness at all. But there's more here, too. This I am the light of the world is one of seven I am statements that frame the gospel of John. Um, seven I am's uh, in, in chapter 6, verse 35. I think we've got a slide uh, of the I am statements. Um, in chapter 6, do we? Did I, did I give you one? No? I didn't give you one? All right. I thought we did. 
Chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. There's number one. Number two, in chapter 8, verse 12, right here, I am the light of the world. Next one is chapter 10, verse 7, I am the door of the sheep. I'm looking forward to unpacking these uh, as we go forward, but I am the door. Uh, also in chapter 10, at verse 11, I am the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for the sheep. And then in chapter 11, after the raising of Lazarus from the dead, he says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. And then in chapter 14, verse 6, in the upper room, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And then the final one, uh, number 7, is uh, I am the true vine in John chapter 15, verse 1. And so... Uh, we'll be looking at all of those as we go, but these are, are amazing statements about who Jesus is. And again, the central idea in the Gospel of John is who is Jesus? Focuses more on who he is than on what he does. And so uh, these seven statements give us insight into who he is, but it's, it's, it's more than that and it's deeper than that. Because these I am statements are pointing to something even bigger. When God called Moses at the burning bush to go back to Egypt where he had come from and to set his people free, Moses raises the question, right? Who shall I say sent me? If somebody asks, who, who will I say? And God says what? I am that I am. Tell them I am has sent you. That is God revealing himself by name. Uh, the I am, the, the great I am. Uh, this is something that, uh, it, it's, a, it's a name that is considered by Jews so holy they will not utter it because our lips are unclean. And so, in the Hebrew text, you see those, those four letters uh, brought into English. They are either YHWH, from which we get Yahweh, or JHVH, from which we get Jehovah, depending on how you bring Hebrew into English. But in the original text, they are assigned different vowels. Uh, than what you would associate with that name so that you will never pronounce that name. And, and so instead, the vowels that are supplied are the vowels that go with the, the name Adonai, which means the Lord. And so when you see the Lord in the Old Testament, all in capital letters, you'll know that you have just run into the divine name, the, the holy name that the Jews would not even utter. And Jesus is saying Throughout this text, and, and especially when we look into next week's text, I am, I am, I am. He's saying, that's who I am. You want to know who I am? That's who I am. And it will become increasingly clear what he's getting at. We'll get some glimpses of it in today's text, but next week he's just going to blow the lid right off of it. And, and I look forward to unpacking that one with you. So the big statement in verse 12 leads to the big argument in verses 13 to 29. And so the, the Pharisees challenge him in verse 13, and, and they say, your testimony's not valid. There's only one of you. 
And Jesus goes, well, my testimony is valid because I'm not alone. The Father is with me. And so he argues that his testimony is valid, and he tells us why. And part of why his testimony is valid is found in verse 14, and it has to do with what he knows. His testimony is valid because of what he knows. Take a look at verse 14. Jesus says, um, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid for, key word, for, it's this because, it's the cause, it's the reason, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. I know heaven. I know spiritual truth. I can unpack spiritual truth for you because I come from there. It's like my friend Oscar from Guatemala is uniquely qualified to tell me about Guatemala. Jesus is saying, I'm uniquely qualified to talk about heaven because that's my home. He's on a mission here, he says, and he will return to heaven when that mission is accomplished. So part of why his testimony is valid is because of what he knows. The other part is because of who he knows. He knows the Father, and they don't. The Father sent him from heaven. The Father is the reason that his judgments are true. Look at verse 16. He says, if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. His Father is the reason his judgments are true. There is a because there. Uh, my decisions are true. Same word used before, valid. Yes, they are valid because I'm not alone. My Father is with me. He sent me. And then also in verse 18, uh, the Father is the reason his testimony is valid. Verse 18, I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. And they don't know the Father. So Jesus says, my testimony is valid because of what I know and who I know. And you don't know him, he says. It all comes down to who he is. In verse 25, they raise this key question, and you, you can almost see the frustration in it. Who are you? Who are you? And that is the key question, the big question. Um, and he's telling us here in this passage, take a look again at verse 12. I am the light of the world. Okay, look on at verse 18, where he says, I am one who testifies for myself. That I am is, uh, in the Greek, is ego, amy. Ego, we get the word ego, myself, me. Amy is a verb to be. I am, and that I am, he, he repeats throughout this passage in subtle ways, and then next week it won't be subtle at all. But I am the light of the world, verse 12. Uh, verse 18, then, uh, I am one who testifies for myself. Verse 24, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. That he is provided to make good English of it. It's, it's, it's great Greek, though. If you... Uh, do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. 
He's talking about who he really is. And then one more in verse 28. As, as he begins to make it a little less subtle, Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that, again, I am. You'll know that I am. So he keeps coming back to that, and next week he'll just make it abundantly clear. So the big statement, the big argument, the big question then is what's our response going to be? Verse 30, it says, even as he spoke, many believed in him. The response he's looking for is for us to put our trust in him. That word believe is used in a lot of ways in our culture, isn't it? If you ever cheer for a, a collegiate football team or, or basketball team, you know, someone's going to hold up a banner and says, you got to believe, you know, and, you know, we, we can do this, we can win this game, that sort of thing. And, and so we, we use this word believe in some strange ways. What I'd like to suggest is that um, it means that, that we place our trust in him. That's essentially what it is. Um, the word believe, uh, this verb, the, the noun form is faith. Um, they're, they're getting at the same thing. Um, in, in Latin, actually, there are, there are three words that, that describe what we're getting at here. And I, I just kind of want to illustrate, if I can here, for a sec. All right, so we have here a chair. Do you believe that's a chair? I believe it's a chair. Okay, so uh, that, that's the first Latin word, uh, and, and that is um, uh, noticia, noticia. And we say, I, I notice the chair, right? Noticia. Okay, so that's a chair. So we, we have some form of belief here, right, that this really is a chair. The second word that is used uh, is the word ascensus. And we get our word assent from it. Uh, so uh, mental assent uh, that I believe, not only if that's a chair, but it can hold me. It will support my weight. I, I will make a mental assent to that idea, that fact. Is either one of those saving faith? I would say no. There is a third word, and, and uh, that is uh, fiducia, fiducia, which, which means trust. And is saying, I notice the chair, it's a chair. I believe that can hold my weight. And Fiducius says, I'm going to go ahead and put my trust in that. I'll, I'll rest myself in the assurance that it will. I will act in such a way that I'm demonstrating my trust that this is a chair that will support my weight. That, I believe, is what saving faith is all about. It's not just saying, okay, uh, I, I believe that Jesus lived, I believe that Jesus was who he said he was. It's I put my trust in him. That's what he's getting at here in verse 30. Even as he spoke to them, many believed in him. And without believing in him, verse 24 says, you'll die in your sins. If you have not put your trust in in him, If you have not rested in what he did on the cross in taking your sin, if you have not put your trust in that and accepted that offer of salvation from him, he says, verse 24, you'll die in your sin. Verse 19, 
says that by trusting in him, we come to know him and we come to know the father that he represents. So the big question for us is, what's our response? Have you responded to him in trust? Have you put your trust in him as savior? Now, let me just, um, before I wrap up, I, I want to show you something that I think is, is wonderful. John's gospel opens with what we call the prologue. It's the first 18 verses of chapter 1. But I'd like to just, just highlight some of that for you and, and, and have us see together those themes that have come now out in chapter 8 uh, that we have just looked at. So Listen to this. This is, this is amazing. Verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus was in heaven with God. Just like my friend Oscar was in Guatemala before he came to tell me about Guatemala, Jesus was there in heaven with God. Verse uh, 14 of, of chapter 8 says, Even if I testify, I testify on my own behalf. Uh, my testimony is valid. For I know where I come from and where I am going. So Jesus was with God. Jesus was God, he says in the beginning there. So he can reveal God to us. Look at uh, verses 4 through 9 of the prologue. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, light and life, again, uh, showing up here together in John's gospel. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can't comprehend it, can't take it in, can't overcome it. Uh, in verse 10 of the prologue, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And in chapter 8, verse 13, uh, we find that the Pharisees don't recognize him. They don't put their trust in him. In verse 11 of the prologue, he came to that which was his own, his own people, and they did not receive him. So his own people, the children of Abraham, the descendants of Moses, these people who celebrate this uh, tabernacle ceremony still did not receive him. But, he says, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, there's that word again, who put their trust in him, he gave the right to become children of God. And we do that by trusting in him. It all comes down to who he is and our response to who he is. John wants to make it very clear who he is. And he tells us at the end of his book in chapter 20, these things are written that you may believe, there's that word again, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, by trusting, by putting your full weight on him, you may have life in his name. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word, for how it speaks to us about who you are. 
Thank you that, that Jesus came on a mission to reveal you to us and then to pay the penalty for our sin so that when we put our trust in him, we can know that we have eternal life. I pray that if there's somebody here this evening who needs to invite you to be that savior for them, they would do that right now and just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for revealing heaven to me. Thank you for making it possible for me to go there. I put my trust in you. Be my savior. Let me live for you. And I pray you would just live in me and be glorified in me. So we pray these things, Lord, with, with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen.